Hi, it's great to be with you. Uh, this is the second week in our new series coming home from the book of Ezra and today we're going to be reading some verses from Ezra chapter 1 and uh, the title of today's talk is Ready to Return. This is what it says. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, whether he reside, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods and livestock, along with a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbours supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a freewill offering. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and had placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had them brought out under the supervision of Mithridath the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Thirty gold basins, a thousand silver basins, twenty silver knives, thirty golden bowls, four hundred and ten silver bowls, and a thousand other articles. The gold and silver articles totaled five thousand four hundred. Sheshbazzar brought all of them when the exiles went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. In my early 20s, to my surprise, my parents moved to Antwerp uh, to live in Belgium. My dad worked for BP Chemicals and was part of a team that was sent there to oversee the rebuilding of the ethylene plant which had been destroyed as a result of an explosion. The most surprised person that they moved there for two years was my dad. I don't think he expected my mother to say yes. She was a stay-at-home mum who was devoted to her family. She'd been member, a member of a non-charismatic Baptist church for many, many years. To everyone's surprise, my mum loved living in Antwerp. She came out of a shell. She joined a non-English-speaking uh, Pentecostal church and had small group meetings meeting in their flat, much to my dad's surprise. When it was time for them to come home, I think my dad expected everything to go back to the way it had been before. But my mum had changed forever. She'd found her voice and she was happy to share it with anyone who would listen. Returning home was difficult for my dad. His old job wasn't there and everyone had moved on, including my mother. The adjustment was huge for them both. As a church, we've been away from what we'd call home for over a year. Like my parents, we're going to find that returning is trickier than we imagine it to be. And I believe that God wants us to get ready. He wants us to be ready to return. And in the passage that we've just read, 
There are three things I believe that are going to help us as we get ready to start in-person gatherings. First of all, those that were returning were prompted by God. It says in verse 5, everyone whose spirit God had roused. Ezra tells us that the first wave of people to return to Jerusalem were those that God had stirred. Not everyone came back immediately. Sadly, some never did. They had got caught up in the culture and life uh, in Babylon. Why didn't God tell everyone to come back at the same time? We're not told why, but maybe God knew that some people weren't ready. Perhaps sometimes God gives us choices because we're all wired a little bit differently. Over this last year, it's become increasingly clear that we're all in different places emotionally. Whilst we long to be together again, it's become clear uh, that some are nervous about returning to big public gatherings. It's not helped by what's happening in parts of the world at the moment, like what we're seeing happen in India. Some are anxious about being in a big crowd again and hugging other people. Other people have loved the convenience of Hope Online and have enjoyed watching together at home on a Sunday morning. Others are not bothered about the impact of Covid on them personally and so I can't wait to be back together worshipping. No one is right and no one is wrong. We need to remember not everyone is going to feel like we do. And it's one of the reasons why over the coming uh, summer months that we're going to be giving people options to uh, help us all. As we try to keep things simple and sustainable, we're not going to force people to come back to big church gatherings straight away. Our plan is to continue with Hope Online through the summer months. And uh, then, uh, up until then, we're also going to give people opportunities for face-to-face gatherings in July and August, where we'll uh, gather at the NBC for worship and other things that we've missed. As well as that, we're going to introduce the opportunity for people to come to uh, the live uh, preaching for Hope Online. All of this is because we recognise that uh, people need help uh, through this season as we look to gather again. You see, God secondly wants us to prepare to return. In verse 5 it says this, that they were prepared to go up and rebuild the house, Lord's house in Jerusalem. There's something about God preparing us and getting us ready. They'd been in exile for 70 years. God's people had adapted to a whole new way of life, a whole new way of doing and being God's people. Returning home would bring challenges. Maybe it would even bring reverse culture shock. Settling into a strange land in the first place had been hard for them. And they'd experienced an overwhelming sense of grief and loss. 
In Lamentations chapter 3, we read something of what they experienced in verses 19 and 20. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. We too have experienced loss. We too have experienced a sense of grief of not being able to meet together as a church. For many of us, we have felt isolated over this last year, not being able to see family or friends, not being able to visit loved ones who are in care homes, watching people struggle with COVID maybe struggling with huge emotional issues ourselves, maybe battling with health issues, missing school, missing university, missing exams, missing close friends, worrying what the future holds for us now. Yet ever, whatever we think we're coming back to, almost certainly it's going to be different to what we expect. The risk of disappointment is huge because everything has changed around us. And more importantly, we have changed. Everyone's emotions are going to be different. Some will want to be loud. Others are going to want to be reflective. Some will be full of joy. Others are just going to weep. Some will be excited, others are going to be frustrated. There's going to be the whole gamut of emotions. Getting ready to return involves facing up to the challenges that lie ahead of us. Rebuilding what's lost will take time and effort. We have to be intentional. In June, our plan is to open up at the front part of the Middlebrook Centre to provide a space for people to be able to reflect on what's happened over this last year, to be able to, a space to be able to start processing their grief. A group of people passionate about art uh, are already working together to make this happen. Many of us have a profound sense of grief over what's happened and we need to be able to process our emotions. It's very biblical uh, to do this, as the book of Lamentations makes clear. Ezra tells us that people were asked to support those who were returning. No doubt many of those people were God's people who didn't feel stirred at that moment to return. They supported them with gifts and offerings to help rebuild the temple, the place of worship, to help restart worship in amongst the people of God. For us, it will look a little differently. But I want to encourage us to support one another. If we decide to continue with Hope Online over the summer, please get behind those who are wanting to return. Support them. How can you do that? Well, you can pray for them. Be praying that it goes well. Be praying that they encounter God. Be praying that God meets them at their deepest point of need. Encourage them. Support them. And if you are coming, uh, wanting to come back to face-to-face -to -face meetings through July and August, don't despise those who aren't ready to do that yet. 
You pray for them and pray that God will meet them as they continue to gather around hope online. You see, remember, comes September, we'll hopefully be together again. Finally, returning home is all about the priority of worship. The priority was restarting worship. Whilst God had allowed his people to be taken into exile, we also know that there's one working behind the scenes who's opposed to God, who hates God's people. His name is the devil. His aim is to stop us worshipping God. Whilst he's not equal to God, he's just a created being. He's jealous for the worship that rightfully belongs to God. In the Garden of Eden, right at the very beginning, we see he tempts Adam and Eve to turn away from God and stop worshipping God. And then when we see him tempting Jesus in the wilderness, uh, in the Gospels, we see him coming to tempt Jesus to not worship God and to worship him. He takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to Jesus, I'll give you all of this. You can circumvent all that lies ahead. You don't have to uh, go to the cross. Uh, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. And Jesus resists the devil's temptation. And he says, I will worship God only. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, back in the, uh, the Old Testament, in Ezra's day, Nebuchadnezzar had taken everything associated with the worship of God to Babylon. He'd taken all the articles that enabled God's people to worship from the temple and he'd taken them to Babylon. And then he destroyed the temple. And if God's people were going to come home in Ezra's day to restart worship, those articles, they needed to take them with them and that God worked a miracle he moved in the heart of King Cyrus and Cyrus uh, allowed all those things that had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar to be brought back by God's people so that they could worship again as God's people on the last Sunday of 2020 John uh, Groves was preaching and he was talking about us coming to worship again at some point this year. And he talked about us returning to the simplicity of worship. He talked about us coming to uh, uh, worship God with all our heart and soul, but something uh, there was something about us returning that would bring a simplicity of worship, a return to the way it should be. And God is, I believe, speaking to us at this time that he wants us to return to worship with a simplicity and with a sense of awe and a sense of uh, his nearness that stirs our hearts to love him afresh. As we return home, we need to be restoring corporate worship. Those who've been in this church for some time, know that God has been calling us to reopen wells of worship. How? I want to explain using two examples, two illustrations from the Bible, two incidents, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. The first one in the Old Testament is found in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
Similar to Ezra's day, God's people had had disobeyed him. They'd uh, they'd wandered away, and and even though they weren't in exile, uh, they are being controlled by uh, uh, the people who were God's enemy, the Philistines. And at one point, the Ark of the Covenant, which was uh, the 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 means by which they worship God and God's presence was among them had been taken by the Philistines uh, uh, into uh, exile. Eventually, God brings the ark home and it's left to King David, David to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, uh, the the centre of worship in, in that day. And as David leads the ark back into Jerusalem, he leads it in public worship before the people. And we see his incredible joy. We see his awe of God. We see uh, his heartfelt and abandoned worship as he dances before God. And then we read the reaction of his wife, Michael. Michael is referred to in the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6 as the daughter of King Saul, the former king. Saul represented all that was wrong with the old way of worship. Michael is offended by David's exuberant worship. She despises him in her heart. She's more concerned about what the people will think than what God thinks. Instead of worshipping, she criticises. David worships for an audience of one. He's not bothered what other people think. He wants to honour God for who he is. He only wants to please him. As we look to a new day of corporate worship together, God wants us to worship him alone. He wants us to please him. As we look for the fresh wine, the new wine of worship, we're going to need a new wineskin. The old wineskin won't do. Don't be surprised if this becomes a bone of contention. The devil loves to contend for worship. He wants to make it more about our head than our hearts. He wants to make it more about our preferences than our privilege of drawing near to worship God. He wants to make it more about duty than it is a delight to worship the living God. God wants us to return to the simple passion of our love for him, our first love for him. He wants it to be our delight not a duty. Let's ask God to deal with our hearts. Let's be ready to return. The commentator Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on the book of uh, Samuel says this, in our churches there are any number of folks who are very concerned with services and externals and procedures and mechanics and meetings and decency and order, but really who can't understand anything of the joy of the Lord. 
There are some who can muster enthusiasm and gusto over professional sports, but somehow cannot fathom anything but professional detachment over Jesus Christ. Exuberant praise and tears of repentance are strangers to them. There are doubtless times to be calm and times to be enthusiastic. But can it be right to give all our coldness to Christ and all our enthusiasm to the world? The second incident from the New Testament involves an encounter with Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee and Luke, uh, who is writing this account, draws our attention to three people in the story. He draws our attention to Jesus who is the focus of our worship, Simon the host, and a woman with a dubious background who has gatecrashed the party. Simon is offended by her presence. She doesn't care. She's come to worship. She's come to worship Jesus. For the first time in her life, she is free of her past. She's had an encounter with Jesus previously and she knows that she's been forgiven and she comes and breaks into this house and she stands behind Jesus overwhelmed with what he's done for her. Her life will never be the same and as she stands behind him as he reclines at his couch she starts to weep in thankfulness for what he's done for her and her tears start to fall on Jesus' feet. And she uh, unbraids her hair, which was so unbecoming for a woman of the day. And she starts to dry his feet with her hair. And then she takes an ointment, uh, uh, some ointment, some perfume that she's brought with her. And she pours it over Jesus' feet and anoints him. She demonstrates her love for him and what he's done for her in this beautiful act of worship which is forever remembered because Luke records it in scripture. Simon despises her act of worship. Jesus loves it. She can only love him so passionately because she knew her sins were forgiven. And the moral of the, of the passage is this. Sadly, those with little awareness of their need of forgiveness love Jesus little. As we draw to a conclusion, Ezra reminds us that God wants us to worship. Wants us to worship him together with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Even through, though he's uh, been with us through all the ups and downs of this last year, through this pandemic, we know, we know that there's something profound about being together as God's people worshipping him. And as we return home, we are going to know his presence in a far richer and deeper way, as the Apostle Paul says. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, 
you are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Ezra is also a reminder that when we're far away from God, he opens a way for us to return home. Jesus released this woman from all the baggage that prevented her from drawing near to her Father in heaven. She could come close because of Jesus and all that he accomplished for her and did for her. We too can only come close to God through Jesus and who he's done for us on the cross, dying in our place for our sin, our wrongdoing, everything that offended a holy God so that we might be forgiven, that we might be able to worship him and draw near. When we were far from God, he comes to us and enables us to draw to him, close to him and to come home. We can do that today.